0: I'm going to read the entire uh, portion, chapter 2, 1 through 12, and, uh, and then we'll deal with just a few of those verses this morning. Listen as God speaks to us through his inerrant and infallible word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain, Taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Father, we thank you for your word and ask now that you might be pleased to use it in our hearts to change us and make us better than we were when we came here and to send us out with a renewed faith in you and in your word and with a renewed zeal for telling others of the wonderful grace of God we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt the need to defend yourself? Maybe not physically, but your reputation, your integrity, they've been called into question and you you feel the need to defend yourself. Well, Most people do at some point in their life, Uh, and particularly people who live in the public light have to defend themselves from time to time. And uh, that's that's what we find the Apostle Paul doing here in chapter 2 in a large degree, is defending himself against some accusations that had come about. But as we look at these verses, I want us to to also keep in mind that we, while not apostles in this official sense that Paul is, we are apostles in the general sense. The word simply means sent ones. The apostles were sent by God. With specific task of that is giving the Holy Scriptures of the New Testament. We're not given that task. And so we could just simply find ourselves, okay, well, he's defending himself as an apostle, speaking inerrant words, and we're not apostles in that sense. But there is an application to this. There's a principle that's larger than, or as as important as this, I should say, and that is that we all speak for God. We're all called to, to tell the truth in love, to speak his word. And when we do it faithfully, we speak with the same authority that the apostles spoke with. And so we're susceptible to some of the same accusations. That we see here, Uh, oh, well, his motives are not good. He's deceitful. He's doing it for for what he can get out of it, for greed. And so we can all end up being susceptible to the same accusations that the apostle was. And so it's good for us to look at this and see, okay, how, how do we respond in times like that? How did... How did Paul do that? now I'm going to say this and then I'm going to qualify it um, it's important to the message that we as messengers be above reproach that's one of the that's the first qualification for an elder of the church, a preacher of the church to be above reproach Paul's defending himself and saying he's above reproach in all these accusations. If we're not, that can harm the message that we're called to present, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the Savior of sinners. Now immediately then, having given us that warning that, oh my goodness, so we could we could harm the gospel going forth, yeah. And you all know situations like that. You have friends who've, who've seen the preachers that have fallen into sexual immorality or greed, building up a kingdom, not of, not of God's world, but of this world, and something happens in their life and people use that against the message. That you're trying to speak to them. Now, here's the here's the quali- qualifier. The qualifier is ultimately, we know that God's sovereign in salvation, and that because we may not speak it as well as we should, or we our lives could at some point be sinful such that it affected the message that we've been trying to say to our children, to our 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 friends. That's not going to thwart God's ultimate purpose. Now that doesn't give us an excuse to live like we want to. God says uh, Paul says that, doesn't he? You know, okay, if 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 God's going to take care of all this, why not just live the way our nature would Have us live the baser nature. Just eat, drink, and be merry. And Paul's response to that in the old King James, which is not a literal translation at all of this, but we still remember it, God forbid. Literally, may it never be. In other words, just because God's going to take care of this and going to save all his people from all their sins doesn't give us an excuse to to just punt on this issue and live as we wish. I mean, the apostle Peter even says this. This is worth turning to. He says. Uh, he says that we're always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, which Paul's being, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we should we should strive not to live a life that's indifferent Because God's going to cover it up. He's going to take care of it. He's going to use the words to save people anyway. But we should be careful and cautious. We should be devout. That's the way. Remember Simeon's described as a devout man? In the birth narrative, just following when Jesus is brought, is presented at the temple. And that Simeon, that godly man, was described as a devout man. Literally, he was a man of caution theologically. I mean, he didn't just see every little Jewish boy brought in and say, Oh, the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. No, he was cautious. He was theologically careful. And when he spoke those words that day, they were on target. There was no wolf-wolf with Simeon. Oh, Simeon says that about all the little boys. No, nope. That one, because God had revealed it to him. He was devout, He was cautious. We're to be devout and we're to be cautious as Paul is to be. Remember, it's just as important to remember the first part of First Corinthians chapter three, where Paul says that there are those who plant and those who water, but it's the lord who gives the increase but the planting and the watering is 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 equally important not equally sin free but just as important because god commands us to plant and to water and so we should do it as well as we possibly can and this passage helps us as paul answers these people now you notice there's three points, and as I said already, we're just going to deal with the first one. And that first one is coming up in a moment. But, but just remember this, because somebody may be saying, well, how do we know that Paul is actually defending himself here? And I'll have to say that a recent school of thought arose back in the early part of the 20th century that Paul's not defending himself at all. Nobody's, nobody's troubling Paul. And then, more recently, it has a, a new defender, but the better scholarship goes and does what you've learned here, and that is Scripture interprets Scripture. We look to the Scriptures to know what Scripture is saying, and in this case, we can easily look to Second Corinthians chapter eleven, where Paul expresses concern that others who are preaching another gospel, a hetero. a a, a gospel of a different kind, another gospel. They're deceiving you people here in Macedonia and Acacia. And they're doing it by calling into question the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship. And here was the thing. Paul, he wasn't one of those original twelve. And Paul even admits in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was not one of the original. The way he says it there, I was one born out of time. But then he reminds them that the Lord came on that road and made him an apostle. Jeffrey Wyman says that apparently... You had these people who were oppressing Paul unsuccessfully because the gospel went on. They thought that they could harm the young church of Macedonia and Acacia by calling into question the founder. And people still try to do that. They try to call into question the message through the messenger, casting some dispersion upon the messenger. And so Paul has to appeal to that. He even says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's the way he begins, Galatians 1, 1. An apostle from God, not through men. So... That's what he's doing here. He's defending himself against these accusations, against the, the, the treatment, the shameful treatment that he had received at Philippi and also in Thessalonica, as we talked about last time. So, first point, genuine gospel messengers speak from and for God. That's the first way he defends himself. I didn't come to speak of my own opinion, speak my own words. Now here, I'm going to throw you something. This is far too common. Some people even teach you to do it this way. But when you're talking to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, too often we start with, well, let me tell you what God did for me. And here's the response. Well, that's nice. I'm glad glad it... I'm glad it's good for you. All of a sudden, it's your opinion. But we're not called upon to tell our story. We're called to tell his story. We're called to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Now, secondarily, in in, in some third sense, we could tell them, now let me tell you what this good news did for me. But it's the good news of Jesus Christ that's going to save people and change their lives, not my good news. Because everybody's got a story. But there's no story like Jesus' story. There's no story like the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that little note, Paul says, Though... We had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That's the first thing he says in his defense. We were bold in what we did. We'd already been slandered. We'd already been put under question. This is nothing new, what's coming out now. But it didn't affect us. We went right on with boldness to speak the good news. I want to tell you, in the midst of persecution, it's easy to be timid, isn't it? Family members that have opposed the gospel, and suddenly we just get quiet because, well, we know what they're going to say. I know how she's going to react. I know what he's gonna say. So we become timid. And Paul says, I knew what was gonna happen. It happened at Philippi. But that didn't stop me. I came with boldness. Yeah, you say, but he was a he was a he was an apostle. You know, he was different. Yeah, he was an apostle, and he was different. But listen to what the apostle said to us. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7. Some of you have this memorized. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Same thing that Paul had, we have. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit indwells us. The same Holy Spirit is with us. So Paul spoke boldly, not because of his surroundings but because of his savior, because of the spirit of the living God that indwelled him, he could speak boldly. Now, let me stop. When I say speak boldly, I don't necessarily mean speak louder, and I don't mean to speak harder or harshly, but boldly. As Peter would say, with meekness and gentleness, we're to speak. That doesn't negate the boldness. But those go together. Always boldness, meekness, gentleness. Speak the truth, as Paul says, in love. But we do that with boldness, not shrinking back, not with any timidity. And then he goes on. He says, you remember, and this is his defense. I spoke boldly. I didn't shrink back. Second, for our our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And by the way, don't miss the end of verse two that he spoke boldly to declare the gospel in the midst of much conflict. This world needs a bold witness. There's way too much too much in the church today that's apologetic and I don't mean that in the sense of apologetics defending the faith I'm talking about apologizing we apologize to sinners we apologize to every kind of sinner it's remarkable isn't it well I know the Bible says homosexuality is a sin but I want to tell you that no 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 Don't, that's not bold. That's capitulatory. That's compromise. We're not sorry that God spoke against sin. Paul says if the Bible didn't tell us we're sinners, we wouldn't know it. We wouldn't have any way of knowing that we're sinners if God didn't say we're sinners. And that's the first step in salvation is that you know you're a sinner. So you have to know you're an adulterer. You have to know you're an adulteress. You have to know you're a homosexual. You have, to, you have to confess these sins before there's a step toward salvation. And by the way, that is God at work. Remember, repentance, acknowledging our sin, is a gift from God, just like faith is a gift from God. And so Paul says, we speak boldly, and then he says, our appeal does not spring from error doesn't spring from error or impurity. None of this leavened his message. Being from God, it's error-free. Here Paul's getting at what we call the inerrancy of Scripture. Now you say, yeah, but again, I'm not an apostle, so I could, I could, I could say something wrong. Yeah, and that's exactly why, back to my point, don't start with, let me tell you my story. Because your story could be wrong, but when we speak God's word verbatim, it's it is as error-free as inerrant as when the apostles spoke it. Did you ever think of that? Well, I. I'm not an apostle, so I you know, I could make a mistake. That's why, again, it's so essential that we just say God's words. We just tell them what God said. I was telling some folks at the pastor's class on on Friday that, or Thursday, uh, I had this encounter with a woman years ago, Carol was there, but you know, in her advanced age, she may have forgotten the story, but I'm reminding her, oh she's been talking telling me that I forget some things lately, so this is just payback. Uh, this lady said to me, and I don't even remember what what introduced this what I had said that made her th- say this. Uh, she said... E- you, you're, not, you're not a Calvinist, are you? Now, this was years and years ago. This was before I even knew I was a Calvinist. Before I even knew that I believed God sovereignly saves people. And I said, well, let, let me just tell you what, I, what the Bible says. And I took her to John 1. As many as believe they're given the right to become children of God for all those who receive him. She wanted to stop after I read verse 12, but I wouldn't let her. I read verse 13. How do you believe? Not born of blood or of the will of the flesh or will of man, but born of God. It did not get any clearer than that. She looked at me and she got it. She looked at me and she said, you'll never make me believe that. I said, ma'am, I just read the Bible to you. She said, I don't care. Don't believe it. And I then said, well, that's scary. For you not to believe something I say is one thing, but for you not to believe what God says is a totally different category. There's no hope for people like that. Well, that didn't make her happy. She was like an eldress or something in a church, so she, she thought she had this all figured out, but my point is I didn't speak any word of error there. I would have been suspect. She could have said, that's just your opinion if I'd have said, let me tell you what happened to me. And I could tell this story. I remember very clear as a nine-year-old on a Sunday evening, my daddy preaching on the clay and the potter And I came at the end of that sermon to believe I did not have any other choice but to believe in Jesus Christ or I'd be lost forever. Now, that's pretty Calvinistic right there, folks. I didn't believe that I was making a decision. I didn't have a decision to make. I had to do that. That's my testimony. But see, if I'd have just told her that... She just said, well, that's not my story. So that's just your story. But I read John 1, 12, and 13, and then she said, I'll never believe that. You just spoke authoritatively, inerrantly to her when you read those two verses. But when I told my personal story, that was just opinion. That was just anecdotal. Paul says, I spoke without error, and it was, it, it was, it, there was no impurity in it. Folks, listen, the, the very quality of the Bible is right there in those two words. It's without error, and it's without impurity. People struggle with that. Can there be a, can there be a word from God that's not mixed with men's opinions? Yes. Yes. As long as you stick between these, 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 these covers and you go Genesis to Revelation, and by the way, don't skip down in your notes. There could be errors down there. It's okay to use the notes, but just be sure you know there could be errors down there. The only part that's error-free and impure is above that line down there, above the comments. Paul says, that's how I'm going to answer them. What I spoke was from God. It was God-breathed, as he says in, in 1 Timothy. It was God-breathed, or in 2 Timothy. It was God-breathed. God can't breathe error or impurities. And then he goes on. He says, and I wasn't trying to deceive you. No attempt to deceive. Listen, listen to what? And I wonder if Paul didn't have this passage in mind or these words from Peter he had heard in mind. First Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 24 says this, For you've been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He's been in conflict. He's been treated shamefully. He's suffered. So that you would follow in his steps. He who who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Notice the context here. The context is one of suffering and insult. And yet Paul says... I'm And remember, in the weeks past, what are we to do? We're to imitate. The the church at Thessalonica imitated him and imitated the Lord. And Peter says here, that's what we're to do. He left us an example, and Paul says in this passage, that's what I was doing. I was just following the Lord in both suffering and in speaking with no words of deceit. No attempt to deceive you. but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. What Paul was saying was God breathed, and so it was free from error, it was free from impurity, and it had no no intention of deceiving. He was in a word above reproach he was given the task of speaking from God and for God and he was above reproach in that that's his first line of defense and that's ours we have to we have to always be mindful that someone's watching our children are watching our friends are watching the public's watching, and as Peter said, we should live such a life so that when we speak our words, and they, even, they may even slander us, and it'll be turned on them instead of on us because we live such a life. Again, I can't stress this enough, folks. When we're talking to people about life and death, These are the words of life. Not my story, but his story. That means you have to know the Bible. We have to read it. We have to study it. You say, but, you know, I may never know it like, certainly like Paul. I mean, he he had most of the Old Testament memorized, if not all the Old Testament, based on his His upbringing, his learning. I don't know it like someone who's gone to seminary. No, but, you know, the best way to know God's word is read it. Don't excuse yourself out of of the benefits of reading God's Bible and then having it. And we live at a time where it's so wonderful if you, if you can't remember exactly where a passage is, Siri. She's an amazing gadget. Probably Alexa too, I don't know her very well. But I know Siri very intimately, not as intimately as my wife, from a distance. But we live in a remarkable time to call up a passage just like that and to be able to turn to it. I remember when I was in seminary, Dr. Gray Allison in the evangelism class would say, fellas, there is never anything that'll be more powerful than you opening God's word and putting your finger on a passage and letting and having people put their eyes on that ink on the page and then he said this there's nothing magical about the ink on the paper but there's something powerful about the word of god so i've always tried to do that somebody says i don't agree with you i say well let's look in the bible just show me show me show me why That's not meant to intimidate. That's meant to get to the source of our authority. What is it that we're basing our opinion on? If it's God's word, then it's not opinion. It's the power of God into salvation. Just asking people to look at God's word. See, I I very quickly, with that woman I, I brought up earlier, I very quickly got to the root of the problem the problem wasn't doctrine. The problem was she didn't trust God. She didn't believe what God said. And when she was forced to put her eyes on it, she realized, I don't believe that. So Paul defends himself by saying, look, what I spoke, I spoke boldly. And the reason I could speak it boldly is because it's, it's without error, it's without impurity, And there's no deceit in it. And I didn't offer it with deceit because I just simply said what God said. The purpose of God's word is never to deceive people, but to change people. To bring them to life in Christ Jesus. And to give them life to live in Christ Jesus. That's the first point. So don't apologize or shrink back in speaking God's word. We're speaking it from God and for God, for the good of our children, for the good of our spouses, for the good of our friends, for the good of our enemies. Let's speak God's word to this dark and needy world. It'd be a great covenant to make right now, wouldn't it? That's, That's what we're going to do this week. We're going to speak God's word to this world and do it with gentleness and meekness and love. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word, and we ask now that you bless, bless it to our souls and give us that boldness that Paul had that was tinctured with gentleness and meekness and truth. May we see you prepare hearts this week and change people, even us, that we might be more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.